What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Course Record. I am your host, Tyler C., and we are very excited to have you join us today. On The Course Record, I have fun conversations with the next wave of elite golfers to uncover how they got to where they are today and what it takes to succeed at the highest levels. You'll get a behind-the-scenes look of what goes into their process of consistently improving and putting together great rounds. Here, we can learn a lot from our peers to help us take our games to the next level. If you are a first-time listener, I recommend you check out our website, thecoursedrecord.com, or our social media pages to get a better understanding of who we are and what we do. Our guest today is Kengo Aoshima, who is a rising junior on the UCLA golf team after transferring from Wake Forest last winter. In his freshman year at Wake Forest, he averaged 70.65 and earned a spot onto the 2019 Arnold Palmer Cup international team. Afterwards, he made the cut at a Japan Tour event, the Shigeo Nagashima Invitational, shooting rounds of 70, 72, 72, 71 for three under par total. He just played at the 2020 U.S. Amateur at Bandon Dunes and is preparing to make an impact at UCLA. Kengo and I dive into how he transformed his game in his redshirt year and what he learned from the legendary coach Jerry Haas at Wake Forest. We discuss his opportunity of playing with the best amateurs in the world at the Arnold Palmer Cup and what it meant for him to be selected. We dive into his experiences and lessons that he has learned from playing with the pros on the Japan Tour. Kengo and I also talk about navigating social media and creating a following in the modern world of golf. We had a lot of fun recording this episode and hope you are able to learn something new. Please enjoy. All right, welcome in everybody. We got our special guest here, Kengo, here with us from Tokyo. Uh, welcome in, Kengo. Thank you for coming on. No, thanks for having me, Tyler. It's a pleasure. Yeah, uh, this is Kengo's and I's first time talking, actually. So um, this will be a lot of fun, and we've already been chatting quite a bit and uh, gotten to know him quite well. Um, so you're you're originally from Japan, but I know you went to high school in Hawaii. Um, you know, what age did you move from Japan to Hawaii? Um, so I was born in Japan. Uh, but when I was two years old, I moved to Hawaii. Then when I was six years old, I moved to San Jose, California. Uh, that's when I started playing competitive golf and uh, fell in love with it right away. It was a lot easier to win when I was young. It's not a lot of competition, so obviously easier to fall in love with it back then. Yeah, and then sure. when I was 10 years old, moved back to Japan. And when I was 14, I was forced to move back to Hawaii because of the earthquake that hit Japan in 2011 and ended up graduating from uh, Iolani High School in Hawaii and then uh, Wake Forest recruited me out of high school. So I went there for two and a half years and then I transferred to UCLA starting this uh, January. Nice. And I know you won the 2017 Hawaii State High School Championship. Uh, you know, what was that experience like? It was awesome. Uh, never really thought that would be able to happen as a team. We weren't the most talented by any means. We didn't have the numbers that other schools did, but everyone just played good at the right time and that's what's so beautiful about um high school golf and ncaa golf obviously you just no matter the talent or no matter the skill if you're just playing good at the right week it's it's your tournament and uh, that's what it proved to me going into college and um it's been a hell of a ride since then too nice and transferring or going from hawaii to the south you know wake forest what was that Mm -hmm. like that must have been a, a crazy cultural shock I think it would have been if I didn't have the golf team because when you're on an athletic team, I think your coaches, 
are kind of your uncles, you know, they're, I wouldn't say quite a dad because they give you the independence and the space and freedom that they should give you in college to, to let you learn. Um, but Coach Haas and Coach Dan Walters and Coach Aaron O'Callaghan, they were all great to me. They were great mentors at, on and off the course um, with school and social life and golf, obviously. So I never really struggled with the transition. I also embraced the fact that I was going to a different culture and people thought it'd be challenging for me, but I knew it wouldn't because I was so used to moving from place to place and I never really struggled with it to begin with. And my roommate was from South Africa freshman year. So he obviously was um, transitioning quite a bit. So I think he struggled with it a little bit more, Um, but I just, it was such a great experience for me because that was the first time in my life where golf was the number one priority with academics Whereas when I was in in the house with mom and dad, academics were a top priority over golf 100% of the time. Uh, So it was a really fun time for me because that was the first time where I'd wake up and, you know, golf could be the first thing, you know, on my to-do list. Yeah, that's crazy, especially like Wake Forest is such a great academic school. Um, You know, first off, what'd you major in or there Uh, so far? I was an econ major at Wake um loved everything about it i thought that it was a broad enough major that i can go into any kind of occupation that i wanted to even if i didn't turn pro uh but what ever since i transferred to ucla i'm a sociology major just because i'm more geared towards law school if i don't turn pro and i just thought sociology would probably fit a little bit better into law school um and after taking a few sociology courses at wake force i thought that Um, It'd be an interesting major just because I could learn about myself, you know, how people react in certain scenarios. And I just thought that that would benefit me even if I become a golfer. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, golf is all about community and being able to create friends and create connections. And, you know, sociology is great for that. So, um, yeah. And so you talked about your coaches being great mentors. I know you redshirted your first year at Wake Forest. Was that more your decision or your coach, you know, did your coaches kind of help you along with that? <laughs> we all knew that I should have redshirted. I was not anywhere close to being in the lineup. When I got to Wake Forest, um, our number one best player was Will Zalatoris. He won um, the U.S. Junior. He, I think he competed in five U.S. Juniors. Uh, like Tiger and Jordan Spieth, are, I think, are the only other guys to do it. So we had a guy like that. Um, we also had Cameron Young, probably bombs the ball. Five, yeah, five times in college, probably. Oh, and geez. then we also had Paul McBride. He was on the Walker Cup team with Will. Um, so that's already three spots guaranteed. And I wasn't tickling those guys on any aspect of the game. <laughs> so there was two spots left with eleven guys left on the roster. And then there was another kid called Eric Bay. He's a hell of a player. He's been an All-American and All-ACC and all the accolades you could ever think of. Um, we had, you know, my roommate from South Africa was the best player in World Amateur Golf Rankings to come in from South Africa. So I could go on and on about the reasons why I shouldn't have played. So it was an easy decision for me. Um, and I think it worked out beautifully because it allowed me to uh, – observe and make changes in my game that I would have been not scared of, but, you know, I would have been more cautious about the changes that I was committing to make. Whereas I thought that, you know, if I redshirted from August all the way to May until, you know, I could play summer golf over the summer, I thought that was enough time for me to make some changes that I've always wanted to make in my game. You know, whether that be 
um, the way I practice or some technical things um, and even physical things, right? Because I was probably around like 65 kilograms when I went into college and now I'm about 74. So that's about nine kilogram gain. So 20 pounds ish. Um, it's, I've been doing, you know, the weight gain steadily and I think it's helped me feel more stable in my golf swing. Obviously I've been hitting it a little further, but I think it's benefited me more in the fact that I feel more stable in my golf swing. So I can swing a little harder without, you know, losing balance. So just changes like that, I wouldn't have been able to make while redshirting. And one thing that I really, really, really focused on during my redshirt year was the number one, like the number one. And the reason why I said that is because I wanted to do one extra of everything that everyone was doing. So if our physical trainer said, you know, we're doing four sets of squats, you know, then I try to do one more, you know, sometimes there'd be days that I couldn't push myself to do it but I always tried to do one extra of whatever it was. And I think that's what um, propelled me to have a successful year the following year. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know that like a lot of guys come into college and, you know, the ego's high because for one, the distance that, you know, we play between junior golf and college golf is pretty big and nobody really tells you about that going in. And you just want to come in and you want to help the team and you want to be that guy, you know, that freshman. And it's hard to, you know, if you come in and it's, things aren't going great right away, you know, are you're resistant to change and then you're resistant to a lot of different things. So that's cool that you were able to, you know, take that first step and go, okay, I need to improve my game. You know, where was your game realistically when you came into your redshirt year, like scoring average or things, uh, parts of the game? Mid seventies. I don't know. Like if I, if I shot par, that was a nice day. <laughs> For sure. Um, you know, in high school, like, I didn't win any big tournaments. I didn't qualify for anything that spectacular. Like, I didn't qualify for any USGA events. I didn't get invited to these super cool AJGAs. Like, I never went to Sage Valley. I never got into the invitationals. You know, I think I got into one open tournament. Um, so, obviously, not a standout high school player by any means. Coach Haas was just kind enough to give me a shot just because I guess he fell in love with the way I carry myself and the way I swung the club. And he just thought that if I was given the opportunity, I could take advantage of it. And I felt the same way. And I think it was a lot easier to listen to Coach Haas because he's obviously from a big golf family and he's played on the PJ tour himself and he's had a hell of an amateur career himself too. So the advice coming from a guy who's done it like that is a lot different than other college coaches who necessarily haven't had the success that coach Haas did, you know, mm -hmm. when he criticized my game, it was a lot easier to just genuinely take it and implement it into my practice. Whereas other college coaches, maybe I would have, you know, been a little hesitant about taking their um, criticism. Yeah, absolutely. And what were those biggest changes and, or what made the biggest difference, you know, for you, what were the main things you worked on your freshman, your redshirt year? I think the biggest lesson was the least technical advice that I got from coach Dan and coach Haas. It was that I was too caught up in what other people were doing. I was too caught up in what I wasn't able to do. I was too caught up in what other people were going to think of me. And coach Dan and coach Haas just said, you know, I need to be me and I need to be happy with who I am and I need to be confident with who I am. 
and, and but not in a cocky way, you know? And I think initially that was the hard part of it. I think when I tried to implement that, I was cocky at times and I felt cocky at times and it didn't sit right with me. So finding that balance was tough. But once I found that balance, I thought that my golf game was getting more stable just because I knew what I was good at and I knew that what I couldn't do. And I just had to, you know, accept the fact that I couldn't do these things, but I just had to fight with what I had. Um, I was able to talk with Sean Foley this February, thanks to coach Freeman at UCLA. And I thought this was a really interesting um, thing that he said that Sean thought that golfers are so obsessed with shots that we can't hit. So if a player is good at hitting two yard draws, but he can't hit a five yard cut, golfers are so obsessed with that five yard cut when he can just play the two yard draw. Yeah. And I thought that, you know, go, looking back at my redshirt year, that was exactly me. And then I think the pinnacle of who does that best right now in the world is probably Colin Morikawa. Like he just plays his cut to every pin that he can, you know, unless he absolutely has to draw it. And I, and that's kind of similar to how I play my game now. Unless I absolutely have to turn the ball right to left, I won't just because just, I'm just not good at drawing the ball. That's just not who I am. You know, obviously I'd love to hit a draw like Rory does, but that's just not how my swing is built. That's just not how my eyes see, see the shot. Um, and that's when I saw more consistency and hitting more fairways, hitting more greens and, you know, if you hit more fairways and greens, easy game, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, we, if, all we, if only we could all hit 18 greens and, you know, have 25 putts. But uh, golf's a crazy game like that. Mm-hmm. But, so uh, that was the best advice that I got. And the technical things were really small, you know. It was how do I, you know, how do I set up to the ball more consistently? And that came down to, you know, the way I placed my alignment sticks on the range or the way I, you know, I needed to look at my swing more on film. I was... In high school, I was kind of against seeing film daily. I thought that that took away the artsy creative side of it. Whereas, you know, I think taking a swing video doesn't necessarily have to be technical. It can just be, okay, the setup looks neutral. I look like I'm aiming at the flag. I look like I'm in balance at the finish. You know, those are like the mini checklists that I think can be done on swing tape that aren't overly technical. And now I've come to a point where I like to almost take film before I even tee off on a tournament just to see how everything's sitting, you know, just to see if I need to make minor changes to my setup or my finish or my tempo. Um, Cause you know, game day adrenaline kicks in and you think that you're swinging easy, but you're not. Or sometimes it's the other way, you know, you're swinging too easy almost. And you almost have to tell yourself, all right, let's kick it up a little bit. So uh, th- that kind of knowledge, I just, wasn't exposed to in high school. I just didn't have the coaching and the mentoring that coach Haas and coach Dan and all the other guys on the team were able to give me. Yeah. That's so awesome. I mean, I, I wish I definitely had something like that, but um, it's It's great that you were able to pay attention to all those small details. Cause that really is what makes you the better player. And, you know, after your red shirt year, you were able to notch, you know, five top tens, your, you know, your freshman year, and you recorded a scoring average of 70.65, which is, you know, right there near all American status, um, which allowed you to qualify for the honor Palmer cup international team, which I mean, congratulations. That's so awesome. That was in 2019 at the Elotion club in Arkansas. I know that's like, that's a super pure course, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, it's a golf course in little Ar- Arkansas best week of my life by far. Um, and the golfing side of it, the golf course was 
in the best shape I've ever seen a golf course ever. And the backstory of the golf course is awesome. Um, it's made by the son of the chairman at Augusta National as a present to his father. So it wow. mimics it mimics Augusta on some holes. I think the green complexes are similar on some holes. The way the trees frame the golf course are similar to Augusta from what I see on TV. I've never been on site at Augusta, so I wouldn't know. But um, yeah, I could see that he really cared about it. And um, the funding was there to make the golf course too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's really cool. You know, you've come from humble beginnings in a way, you know, um, you never played in the big AJJ invitationals and then coming in your freshman year, you're behind all these great guys. What was that feeling like to be selected to that team to know that you're a top 10 international player amateur in the world? And, you know, how did that affect your confidence going in? Um, it was, it felt, it felt so good. Um, as soon as my name was announced on golf channel, I called coach Haas, um, just cause it was at night. He wasn't at the golf facility. And initially it was just a thank you call, but it turned into me bawling out and crying out and tell him, telling him thanks for giving me the opportunity. Cause, um, obviously I wouldn't have had the success that I had without him giving me a shot, you know, and it was a shot in the dark for him. There was no, there was no reason for him to take me other than the fact that he just liked me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to, I was so happy for myself, but also for him just because I think, um, it was a, it was a long shot, as I said, and to, to validate that it wasn't a waste for both of us was a really good feeling. And, um, the friendships that I made that week and, um, the memories that I made that week will be something that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. Just because, you know, the guys that I competed with there that week, there was, you know, one of them's probably going to be a major champion. One of them's probably going to win the FedEx cup. One of them's going to win, you know, whatever. So, um, it's, it was so great to be a part of that. And our captain for that week was Mark Immelman, Trevor Immelman's brother. Um, and the knowledge that I was able to pick off of his brain was, um, priceless as well. And just to be part of that kind of thing, you know, um, it's a once in a lifetime thing, most likely, unless you're a standout and you get to play in multiple of these things, but odds are against you. And I just tried to soak in every moment of it. And, um, yeah, I hope it comes around again, but um, it's it's so hard, you know, it's to be selected in that team. There's probably like 3,000 D1 golfers and only 12 of us get selected. So, yeah, I mean, pretty crazy. <laughs> the numbers are against you. So um, I feel blessed to be able to be a part of that. And it was special for me also because I was a Wake Forest student and the name of the tournament was obviously named after Mr. Palmer. I thought that um, it kind of came to a full circle, yeah? It yeah. just it just sat right with me. Absolutely. And uh one of your teammates there was uh Takumi, who is the number one player in the world amateur rankings. Um wh- what were you able to learn anything from him? What were your main takeaways from playing alongside the best amateur in the world? I think the way he carried his practice round was evidently different from everyone else in the field. He's a big believer in the aim point reading. Um so he obviously has to do a lot of uh, green reading with his feet. And he does the preparation all himself by just uh, putting the, the slope scale machine on the green. And he doesn't hit one putt during practice rounds. That's all he does. He just measures the slope and he just writes him down on his book. And um, he does all of his putting work on the putting green. So the first time he hits a putt on the greens of the course is at the tournament. That's crazy. 
So I don't think it's a way to do it for everyone. But what I learned from it is everyone has their own identity. You know, everyone has their own way of doing it. And it goes back to what Coach Dan and Coach Haas said, I need to be me. And Takumi's being himself. Like, he knows that the way his practice rounds are conducted are out there. Like, he knows it's weird. But he knows that that's what works for him. I think Bryson, I think Bryson's the same way. Bryson knows what works for him. He knows it's not for everyone. And I think as a golfer, when you find your recipe, that's when you're like dang good. Like yeah. when you find you, you know, it's not, I don't think you play the best when you're trying to mimic someone. I think when you find you is when you play the best, no matter your skill set, no matter if you're trying to win the U S amateur, or if you're trying to win the club championship, or if you're just trying to break a hundred, you need to find you. Yeah. That's like, that's my number one, you know, motto. You gotta, you gotta play your game because mm-hmm. if you're trying to be someone else, you're never going to be there them exactly. So you just got to be the best version of yourself. So that's awesome. And you also played alternate shot. Your partner was Gabby Ruffles, who won the U.S. Women's Am last year, just got runner up this year. Were you able to take anything from her game? Um, you know, just women's golf is a little different. You know, were you able to learn anything from her? Um, I think Gabby, Gabby and I got along right away um, at the airport. We flew in at around the same time. It was actually the first time that we ever talked. But her teammate, Malia Nam, is from Hawaii as well. So Malia was kind enough to kind of introduce me to Gabby. Um, and we just kind of clicked right away. And I, um, we kind of both said, hey, let's play this week. And her game is obviously very, very sharp. Um, it's You don't get to two finals in a row at, at a USGA event by accident. Um, <laughs> the way she carried herself was very, very professional-like. We had, tight, we had a tight match on the first day. We won... Or no, we we were all square. At, no, we won down going into 18, and we ended up winning 18 to be all square. But she probably had a three and a half footer to um, tie the match, and the way she played that three and a half footer was just like any other putt that she'd hit the whole day. And that's I know something that I admired about her. She just read the putt, put the ball down, and took two practice swings and just went. Um, and so, I mean, she's got balls to be able to do that, um, especially on 18 the first day. So um, when I saw her go to two consecutive finals, it's, I mean, it wasn't really a surprise. It obviously takes some luck to do that, but I'm super happy for her success. And um, I hope she keeps kicking butt because I think she's at the British this week. So um, hopefully she does well there too. Yeah, for sure. Rooting her on. And uh, although rival schools, you know, she goes to USC, but we root wow. on everybody, yeah. no matter the rivalries. <laughs> yeah. So then after you played there, you have had the opportunity to play in other Japan tour uh, professional events. And I know you played in the Shigeo Nagashima Invitational right after that. What was, were you able to make friends with any of the guys in the field at all? Uh, I've been fortunate enough to know a lot of the professional golfers in Japan um, since I was little. So it was more of just seeing some um, familiar faces. The last time I played in a pro event was when I was 16. So it's been, it, it had been four years since my last one. So for some of the guys, you know, it was, it took a minute to, for them to click that 16 year old me to now me. They were like, Oh, it's the same kid. Um, But obviously um, super great opportunity to play in a pro event. Um, but I'd never made a cut in a pro event on the Japan tour when I played when I was 15 and 16. But as a 20 year old, I thought that I was skilled enough. I was mature enough. I was just good enough to make the cut. 
So there was a little bit more pressure on me to actually perform this time around. When I was 15 and 16, it was more of like, I don't know what the right way. It was just kind of a, all right, let's just go out, see what happens, you know, get a, get a few circle tees, just walk out. All right. Cool. Thanks. You're just excited to be there. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So, um, it was a little bit harder on me, but played a great first round, um, bad weather, shot two under, uh, I think that was, uh, eighth place when I finished. Oh, dang. Yeah. So that was, um, obviously good enough to make the cut. I, I mean, after I shot 70, I kind of knew I was playing good enough. I was, I didn't say I knew, but I kind of knew within me, you know, I was, I had enough control of golf ball. I felt good with my body. You know, my mental game was there and I just kind of knew. But just from then on, I, I struck the ball the same. I just couldn't make the putts that I did. Like I did the first round, ended up finishing the tournament at three under shot 70, 72, 72, 71. so solid performance, but um, didn't really crack, you know, the top 20 or anything. But obviously playing with a bunch of different professionals, um, learned a bunch of stuff, saw the way, you know, saw the way the guys in contention are playing, saw the guys, you know, who are missing the cutter playing because the first two rounds, the guys that I played with, one guy was up there with me and the other guy was, you know, around the cut line. So to see the, you know, the difference firsthand was uh, really, really valuable for me. I think, um, you know, just the targets that these guys were hitting on the green were very different. Uh, you know, the way I was playing and the guy who was playing well, we, we had some birdies early on. So that gave us the leeway to kind of hit to the fat side of the green. Whereas the guy who, you know, kind of didn't get off, you know, to a great start, he was kind of forcing stuff at the end. And I think that was kind of backfiring. Um, so that kind of taught me the lesson that, you know, the first couple holes in a tournament are really, really valuable. Like the first six holes, I think are a lot more valuable than the middle six, you know, numbers would say otherwise, because every hole is just one hole. But I think there's, you know, an, a part of the game that's not measurable called momentum. And the first six holes are what kind of validates that for the whole week, not just for that one day. So, um, the reason why I was able to make the cut comfortably was probably just because I got off to a good start and that just allowed me to carry out the game plan that I wanted to, which was just to play conservative off the tees and, um, hit to the fat side of the green and, you know, lag it up to two feet. And if it falls, it falls. If it doesn't, you know, move on and rip it again. So, um, that's a lot of the stuff that I learned and, um, that just carries on to big tournaments just because the bigger the tournament, the probably the harder the golf course is and, that's more of what you have to do. Even if you have an eight iron in hand, you really, 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 really got to commit to the 20 feet right or 20 feet left of the flag. The better the tournament, the more you have to be able to do that. So um, that's just something that you know I try to watch out for in tournaments. Yeah. And that's really interesting. You brought up, you know, like once you go kind of deep, those first couple of holes, you, you know, we're more aiming at the fat part of the green, which, you know, it's interesting because at least, you know, in your example, you're, 20 years old and you're playing a pro event and you know your first goal is to make the cut obviously and to just play well and then from there so you were able to shoot every round under 72 but so for example your teammate Hide Yoshihara who's my good buddy um, we talked about in our first episode um, about not only momentum but just keep putting your foot on the gas pedal and just like when to go lower and at least here 
you know, with tours like the Corn Ferry Tour and the McKinsey Tour, guys are having to go nine deep every round to pretty much, you know, either qualify Monday, qualify or to win. You know, some four day events, the winner's like 25 under and you're just like, oh, my God. So, you know, how would you compare that to, you know, moving from a place where you're like, OK, I'm a couple deep to, you know, I just want to be aiming at the fat part of the green and keep it, you know, in the area where I can make the cut versus okay, let me turn it on to, okay, let's say I'm two under through three. Let me get to three under, four under, five under and try to shoot something like a 63 or so. I think those 63s and 64s happen by chance. I don't think it's something that you can kind of force and win your way into. Whenever I've shot 63 or 64 in tournaments, my lowest competitive round is 63. But whenever that's happened, it's more of like, I just hit the shots that I was intending to and those mid-range putts fall. You know, when you're watching Rory play well or Tiger playing well, they hit it to five feet every every short iron they have. But they're at a they're at a level that not a lot of players will ever reach. And with my shot dispersion, I'm probably not good enough to take on 18 flags like sometimes they feel like they can. And you know, Tiger sometimes mentions it, but he's just like, I never aim at the flag. You know, that's the kind of vibe I get from Tiger. He's like. I don't aim at the flag. I aim at the fatter side of the green, and if the putts fall, it falls. But if you're the kind of guy who can take it nine deep casually, then I think there's certain tours that are more fitted for you. But, you know, on the Japan tour, I don't think you necessarily need to take it nine deep, the course, the way the courses are set up. You know, sometimes forcing birdies that much will give you sixes and sevens just because the courses are narrower in Japan. It's not as, you know, forgiving off the tee like in the U.S. where, you know, there's 100 yards of fairway to work with. So I think there's just golf courses and tours that fit you a little better. And for me personally, you know, taking it really, really deep isn't really my forte. But I also won't give you, you know, over par that frequently if, I mean, unless the course conditions are absolutely impossible. Um, So that's kind of the identity I found. I thought that me is more of, all right, let me, how do I shoot two under every day? Because if I shoot two under every day for four rounds, you're making a good amount of money in the pros. Um, you know, Coach Hawes once told me, what do you, like, he asked his brother Jay, how much do you make if you just shot 70 every day? And then he kind of just looked at Coach and just said, you crazy? 70 a day, you'd win everything. You know, you'd win most of the tournaments out there, but then, he was just like 72 every day is good enough in college golf anywhere. Um, so sometimes I think us college players were so obsessed with making birdie every hole that um, it kind of backfires on us. So I, when I play practice rounds, I try to find a way to shoot one under on every nine. That's just kind of the way I try to make my game plan. You know, sometimes if you're aiming for one under, sometimes it'll become four under. If you're aiming for one under instead of five, I don't think your bad nines are that bad just because you're not taking on that many risks, you know, mm-hmm. or the drivable par four, like on the first round, like, do I really have to go for it? Or can I just give myself a 80 yard wet shot and just give myself a 12 footer and see if I make that instead of going for it and, you know, having to make a 15 footer par because I hit it in the water. So those kind of things I think matter more as you turn pro because everything is a season long race, right? College events, I think it's more of weekly, you know, okay, I made, I made a top 10. I get to play next week. Okay. I won this event. Like now I can get into this. 
Whereas in the pros, it's more of, all right, you made this much money, which makes you this in the money rankings. And, you know, you either have a spot next year or you don't. It's a season-long race. So I think the management of your golf course kind of just has to change a little bit. Yeah. And I, I really love that you brought that up because it's like pro golf, especially on TV, it can be so misleading for the road to pro golf. And it's like, you know, those guys on the McKinsey tour, they are going nine deep. And then uh, your guys on the tour, you know, like you're saying, shoot 70 every round, you're fine. So it just, you know, really depends on the course. But at the end of the day, wrapping it all together, like you said, it's you got to play your own game. You know, if if you're one of those guys where it's like drivable par four, hell yeah, I'm pulling driver. Or if you're a smarter guy and it's you trust your wedge game and you're like, let me just give myself an 80 yard wedge and knock it close. So, yeah, I just think it's all about, you know, playing your own game. And that's great that you've been able to find your own game. And, um, you know, as you've transferred to UCLA, do you feel like you've found any differences in the way you've wanted to shape your game as, you know, going from Southern golf, where at least I feel that a lot of it's more played in the forests and trees, kind of like Japan versus Southern California golf is pretty wide open. And it's like, let's just go deep. Um, I, you know, I obviously haven't competed for UCLA yet in a college event, so I don't know the golf course side of it, but as a player trying to develop his game, the the really, really good part about UCLA men's golf is that we have access to so many different golf courses. Although we're in the middle of LA, probably in the best spot in LA, we have access to so many different golf courses at such great courses like Bel Air, Riv, LA Country Club, Brentwood, Hillcrest, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, so for me, I thought that was really beneficial because with the amount of golf courses we have access to if i went to a tournament i didn't think there'd be a shot that i've never hit before i thought every golf course that i go to i can be like oh this is similar to hole number whatever at this course um and you know some golf programs just don't have access to that many golf courses and you know i think it's a blessing at ucla that we can't hit drivers on campus you know we can only probably hit up until foreign on on campus so if, we're, if we want to go hit drivers, we probably should just go to the course and just play. And realistically, that's probably a lot more beneficial than hitting 10 drivers, you know, on the range at the same target. I think it's much more beneficial to just play three holes and hit three really solid drivers that are really, really well thought out and well committed. Um, so I think that'll help my game, you know, whenever we can go back to campus. Nice. Well, you know, along with that, you know, you've, as you've moved around a lot, you've, you know, started to gain a, a following and I know on Instagram, you have kind of a big following and, uh, a lot, a lot of your posts, um, are actually kind of geared towards coaching in a way you, you know, make posts about how to hit a draw, how to hit a cut, which are great for, you know, all different golf, uh, golfers of all different levels. Um, you know, as you've taken on that role, do you enjoy coaching or is it more like you're just trying to keep that following going? I do enjoy coaching. I don't think I'll ever make it a job. Um, I think I'm too immersed into being a player that I don't think I'll be a great swing coach. I think um, I think a college coach can be more player oriented, but I don't think a swing coach can be that player oriented because um, I have too many perceptions of certain types of swing mechanics and swing methods because there's only certain types of swing thoughts that work for me. But as a swing coach, I think I need to be able to see every swing method the same way and to not have a bias towards one or the other, because every person that that'll come to me is different. 
you know, built different, swings different, likes to see different shape, uh, shot shapes, you know, like certain misses more than others. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think I'm too player immersed to really be able to be a non-bias swing coach that'll fit into everybody. Um, so yeah, um, I think the, the social media part of it is more of me trying to make myself more marketable. Um, there's so many professional golfers out there right now. Um, and at the end of the day, as a professional golfer, you need the backup from companies, you know, not a lot of professionals can just live off of what they make on the course. And with the way, you know, social media is taking over our lives, I think it's important to have that kind of, um, I don't know, you need to have a presence on social media to make yourself stand out. And that's just my little way of doing it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of why I've been posting those, um, lesson stuff, but obviously I hope to help out people, but that's kind of like the, the deep down roots of it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. You know, going back to your player side, do you have any short-term and long-term goals going forward as you know, you work into, I mean, this, this upcoming season's obviously canceled, but you can still play in some amateur events and you might get some exemptions into pro events. Do you have any short-term and long-term goals? Um, I don't know what my next tournament is. I really don't. Um, so I, uh, short-term goals, I don't know what to tell you, honestly, because I don't know what I'm competing. Obviously, there's some things that I want to work on with um, a putting. Um, I want to change my setup and the way I kind of finish the stroke, just because I've kind of had the same stroke when I was, you know, six years old, and I've never really made any changes to it. But I think I've gotten to a point where I need to change it a little bit. Um, I need to grow. I need to grow out of it. And so long-term wise, I don't know if I'm going to turn pro or not. Um, Obviously would love to. That's obviously why I wake up every day and try to get better. But, you know, the numbers are against it. And I think I'm the kind of guy that, you know, if I see the numbers, I'm not the kind of guy to just be able to overlook and be like, all right, I'm going to become the best golfer in the world. I'm more, I don't want to say realistic, but more, you know, I look at the numbers and see, see the risk, you know, all right. I'm like, Numbers say it's most likely not going to happen. And yes, I know that I'm on a good track. I'm playing at one of the best universities in the world. But at the same time, I'm also getting a world-class degree that'll give me different facets, you know, or different ways to um, be able to make a living. And I just want to keep the most doors open. So, you know, the long-term goal is to try to get good at golf as much as I can while maintaining a good GPA. And um, when I'm graduating i'll see if i'm playing good enough to really turn pro but i think by the time i graduate if i'm consistently winning or close to winning in college events and if i'm really making noise in summer amateur events i'll give it a shot but if i'm not doing those things i probably would just um utilize the degree that i get from ucla and um try to get a job but you know i'll always stick around golf i i love golf too much to really hang it up um, even if yeah, I, even if I'm not professional, I'd love to do what, um, Stu is doing. Um, I think his lifestyle is a dream come true. You know, like he's playing in all these good amateur events, um, but has a comfortable living for himself. So I think that's something that, um, that'll be really enjoyable if I end up not turning professional. So I don't know. Um, there's not really one side that I lean more towards than the other. I, I enjoy academics. I enjoy talking to members at these country clubs and learning about their jobs. I think it's just as appealing as professional golf. Um, 
so yeah, I don't know. Uh, just gonna keep doing what I'm doing, try to improve every day as a as a golfer, as a student, as a person, and just see where it leads me. Because um, I have two more years to compete at UCLA, so try to help them out as much as I can and um, see it from there. Yeah, yeah, you got a long time, and I wouldn't try to make any drastic you know decisions right now. But also going back, you referred to Stu, who is Stuart Hagstad. Um, you know, great amateur player, won the U.S. Mid-Am a couple of years ago. Just made round of eight, I believe, at the USAM, which brings me to you also just played at the USAM Abandoned Dunes. Um, how was that? It looked amazing. Yeah, it was, uh, it was the first time I ever played in the USGA event. Um, never was good enough to qualify for one, so it was kind of a blessing that um, they did it off the World Amateur Golf Rankings this year. Um, first time I went to Abandoned Dunes to play as well. I knew it was going to be linksy, but that, I thought that was good for me because I had success at the British Am last year. Uh, came in seventh at stroke play and made it all the way to third round in match play. So going in, I thought that it would be a good it would be a good fit for me. But you know, just had to get a little bit luckier with the tee times. I think the the guys who went off the, in the morning wave the first round had it a lot better than the guys who went off in the afternoon the first uh, first round. There was a stat on Instagram from USGA that there was a three and a half stroke difference from the morning and afternoon wave. Jeez. So um, that that's links golf though, you know. There's there's a certain element to the luck of the draw, and no one knew that going in. It could have been vice versa. Um, but there's still obviously guys who made it from the afternoon wave into match play. So just wish I put it a little bit better, struck the ball really well. I thought I flighted the ball beautifully under the wind. Um, didn't make any doubles on that golf course. Pretty proud of that um dang that that's actually really impressive it looks like there's a bunch of hazard and you know fescue there yeah i think i think it speaks to my course management i think i know i know better who i am now than you know two years ago i know my game i know my misses i know i kind of know where i'm gonna miss it when i'm nervous now you know okay there's in certain scenarios you know if the wind's off the left and i'm nervous i've never missed the ball right it's always left. Okay. I didn't know that until Coach Haas told me. I oh, always, okay. I always feared the right miss on left to right wins when I was nervous. But because I fear the right miss, I pull it way more frequently than right. Okay. But so, like, those kind of small things help me manage my game, you know? So, like, there was a there was a left to right hole at the US Ham, and there's bunker right. And the caddy told me, you know, don't miss it in that right bunker just because it's a hard up and down. But I knew that with my game, I could totally disregard that right bunker and kind of go for the flag because I knew that I wasn't going to miss right. And turns out I hit it to like seven feet. So just knowing those kinds of um, tendencies in your game kind of helped me navigate a way around the golf course. And quite honestly, I just needed to make more putts to make a couple more birdies and just miss too many six footers with par. Um, so making it into match play at USAM is, is a fine line. I think, you know, same with the British Am last year, it's a fine line, you know, a few momentum putts here and there and you're in, you're out. So yeah, um, happy, happy with the way my game was. I didn't have a tournament since last October. That was my last event at Wake Forest. Um, we played in Bahamas and obviously wasn't eligible to compete at UCLA from January and then season got cut off. So I didn't play in any, um, big amateur events that would count towards world amateur golf rankings. And um, it was obviously fun to compete again. And I, I thought I'd be more nervous and more, I don't know, jittery, but um, felt, felt confident out there. Thought that I used these Corona months really well and I felt prepared. So no regrets, just 
didn't make enough putts to really make any noise. Yeah. And that's all you can ask for. As long as you prepare, you know, what happens on the golf course, everybody has bad weeks and it's like real, realistically, you only play well about, you know, 10 to 20% of the time, you know, or well enough to, in a field of, what's the field this year? It was, a, I mean, I know it's usually like 312 guys, right? 264, I think. 264. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it'd be top 64 and 264. It's tough. It, you know, those guys are going to have good weeks and everybody has bad weeks. So no big deal. I don't know how that Wilson for guys shot, whatever the heck he did. Like, oh, he shot like nine deep the second round or something. I, I can promise you, I didn't see more than three under. Wow. That's crazy. When I played the practice round with my friends and we sat down for lunch after the round, initially we were like, yeah, like four over maybe. And then we played the second day for the practice round. We were like, I think it might tickle double digits. Because wow. like, I mean, we were hitting five iron from 140 and it wasn't getting to the green. And we were hitting two irons from 320 and we were going over the green. I was like, I don't know how to play it. Like it was just too windy. The green. And the thing with Bandon Boons is it's such a linksy golf course, but the green complexes are just like any other American golf course. They're so slopey. Whereas when I played the British last year, everything was so flat. Like I could hit, I could be hitting a putt from 40 yards out and the caddy would just tell me, all right, just hit a shoe length out to the right. And it would literally break, I don't know, a couple inches. Wow. Whereas Bandon, it's windy and it's also tiers and slopes and ridges. I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Like during the practice round, like I was trying to get gauge the speed and I'd just be putting it off the green. And I'm like, I don't think I'm that bad. <laughs> yeah. Good golf courses. They'll, you know, they'll beat you up for sure. So I, I don't know how those guys shot under par. Good for them. I th- it's such good golf. I, I didn't see it out there. So obviously there's some guys that teared it up, but um, I, I didn't see it. Yeah. Well, no big deal. You'll, you'll, you'll make uh, many more USAMs down the road. And then once you turn pro, it'll be no big deal. It's in the past. But, uh, well, I think that about wraps it up for us. Any any closing remarks? No, I just want to say thanks for having me and um, shout out to the guys at Nike and New Era for always helping me out with uh, clothes and gear and obviously the guys at Ping and TaylorMade too for helping me out with the clubs. So thank you guys and uh, thank you, Tyler. Yeah, this has been a bunch of fun and uh, glad that we could um, you know, finally talk and I'm sure once you get back to the US, we'll meet up. We'll, we'll definitely play some golf. So that'll be a lot of fun. Sounds good. Hopefully my game's good enough then. Yeah, I, I, I'm not worried about it, but I definitely we'll, we'll get a little match going for sure. Sounds good, man. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed my podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe, check out our social media pages at The Course Record, or visit our website, thecoursrecord.com. I would love to hear your feedback about who you want to hear from next and what topics you are most interested in learning about. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next time.